Moses was equal to complaining against the Lord God. Well, maybe you're like me right now when recalling the temptation of Jesus. When Jesus replies to one of Satan's temptations, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16. And it is there... Deuteronomy, in reference to the people having put God to the test at Massah and Meribah. Hi, this is Richard Lanford, the redheaded preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. St. Peter's is an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. Today's sermon and the scriptures are for Sunday, September 27th, 2020. Our lector is Carolyn Van Til. The readings are from Exodus 17 and Philippians chapter 2. Uh, the gospel reading, unfortunately, did not get recorded, and so I can tell you that it is the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. I will make reference to it in the sermon to the point where, to the extent where you'll understand, you know, what you didn't hear. And the uh, message, the sermon is called, For God's Good Pleasure. I hope you find this meaningful, and I will um, talk to you on the other side of this podcast. The Old Testament reading is Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 through 7. Last week, we heard the runaway slaves complain for food in the desert, and the Lord gave them quails and manna. Now they're thirsty. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are, mo- they are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at the word. Strike the rock and water will come out of it. So that the people may drink. Moses did so, and in the sight of the elders of Israel, he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This ends the reading from Exodus. Our epistle lesson is in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 13. Paul, writing from prison, writes about humility and the example of Christ for us to follow. If then there is any encouragement
any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was from the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and troubling, for it is God who is at work in you enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here ends the reading of the Epistle lesson. Our gospel passage today again comes from Matthew. This week it is chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. Jesus' authority is questioned, as are the presumptions of the spiritual elites who pass on him. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority? Are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say, from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say, of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Here ends the reading of the gospel lesson and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God add to us a wise and grace-filled understanding of this holy, of this God's holy word. In my September newsletter piece, I wrote about going through a wilderness. Together, as a body of Christ, with friends near and far, and often as individuals, too. The wilderness is not only what COVID-19 hath wrought, including the economic crisis, it's also the fear 
alienation and near powerlessness many of us feel when it comes to decisions such as those leaving Breonna Taylor's killing without legal consequence and presidential statements and foreign interference threatening the election process. The divide between portions of America that has been developing for centuries here and decades there escalates into being more violent, closed-minded, intentionally public and uncertain. Faith, once a source of strength, is less widespread. A wilderness is also a place of low resources. And a lot of good folks feel tapped out, depressed, or are just going stir-crazy. So some resources we normally count on are strained thin or gone. So is there a word from the Lord today? Can our passages give us insight, faith, and hope while we carry on? Are there lessons for us from the Hebrew wilderness experience, from Jesus' teachings and Paul's prison cell? Well, since we started presuming wilderness, let's go first to the story in Exodus 17. The people camp at Rephidim, and although this place allows them some room to spread out, there's no water. They get thirsty. Impatient and not praying, it seems, they go into what has become autopilot for them, and they complain to Moses. The people quarreled with Moses and complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses turns to God a little scared. and God told him and the elders what to do. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. God answers. And this happens. Moses names the place after quarreling and testing Massa and Meribah because the Israelites tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Well, I was impressed at first that both with the manna and quail story and now the water, God seems cool with the complaining. It's like, yeah, they are hungry. They should be thirsty. I got you. God seems calmer than Moses. If you dig in the scriptures further, however, the Lord did feel that the Israelites were putting God to the test, putting God to the proof. In these other passages that I refer to, God considers all the ways God had saved the people so far in dramatic fashion, again and again and again. So how then could they doubt God? For these passages agree with Moses' take that to complain against Moses was equal to complaining against the Lord God. Well, maybe you're like me right now when recalling the temptation of Jesus. When Jesus replies to one of Satan's temptations, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16. And it is there, Deuteronomy, in reference to the people having put God to the test at Massah and Meribah. God really did mind 
the attitude of the people. Commentator John Durham notes, the people did not even wait for God to provide water before complaining. The whole reason for this narrative is Yahweh's miraculous provision for his people. In the wilderness, then, we are taught not to put God to the proof, to make God prove God's self by doing something we want or need done. Another writer put it like this to make it more like guidance for you, me, and our church. Terence Fredheim wrote, Testing God, putting God to the proof, in essence, is an attempt to turn faith into sight. He, too, invokes Jesus being tested in the desert by the devil, and Jesus would not force God's hand, seeking to make God act in order to demonstrate God's presence and power, protecting Jesus. Fredheim goes on, interestingly, this approach to God is often characteristic of believers. God will take care of me. I will not take out insurance. God is my insurance policy. Such attitudes, he says, set God up for a test, determining just how God is to show the divine power. It places God in the role of a servant at the beck and call of anyone in difficulty. End quote. Hearing that, did anyone out there also think COVID? As in, God will heal me if I get the virus because I got it going to church indoors with 150 people and no masks. Or God will protect me. Is not that putting God to the test? Which, like the Hebrews, is ultimately an expression of weak faith or a manipulation of God before the world? Let us not find ourselves putting God into a situation where we need God to show up and prove God's self to us or to others watching, so we'll be taken care of and keep believing. Rather, let us continue trusting the God who has done so much for us, for you, me, our church, and everyone who's listening and everyone who's not. Keep the faith by remembering past blessings and past laborers for justice, reasons for gratitude. Keep remembering, keeping the faith by remembering these and do what's right. This will help us in our wilderness. Jesus did come to us as a servant to bring us back to God, as we heard Carolyn read from Paul, but let us never treat God as a servant. As a seminary president who was serving the seminary I went to, James McCord said, God is not our cosmic bellboy. Another lesson comes from Matthew, although it's not told in a wilderness setting. Today's gospel offers fodder for many sermons about things like authority, John the Baptist, and how lame the chief priests and elders are for anguishing over which answer to give Jesus based on how it will go over with the public or with Jesus. Well, I'm going somewhere else. 
The first part of the reading reminds us that the chief priests and elders did not listen to or follow through on the message of John the Baptist. They did not believe he came from God, so they did not obey him. Then comes the parable of the two sons. Frederick Dale Bruner wrote that these are judgment parables that teach the urgency of an obedient faith. It is believed that the two brothers, or the two sons, however you think of them, they represent two sets of Israelites in first century Palestine. The first son asked by the father symbolizes the Haaretz Israel, as Bruner puts them, and that is Hebrew for people of the land. But he goes on to describe them as the despised people of the land, common Israel, secular Israel, the great unwashed. The second son asked stands for the seemingly obedient religious leadership. The first son did not want to go, and he said he would not go. And that fits the unclean, the secular, those perhaps spiritually damaged by their brother, the second son, so they're skeptical of God talk. Under the auspices of John's teaching, however, they experienced authenticity. They listened, they believed. And so they did as John recommended. They were ready for the coming one and changed. They followed Jesus. They went to the field after all. The second son obediently said, I go, sir. But he did not go. They did not respond to John or to Jesus. The messengers who spoke with heavenly authority, they were not in tune with these elders and chief priests or the elders and chief priests were out of tune with the messengers from God. One key such message being repentance. Change your mind, change your direction, be like Jojo and get back to where you once belonged. But they did not. That paved the way for Jesus' question about which son did the will of the Father. When their reply was in favor of those whom they themselves despised, not realizing it, the Haaretz Israel. Jesus made it personal. They did not see how they had fallen away from the message and how others had recently recognized the good news and responded. Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Okay, what's that for you and me in the wilderness? The wilderness, especially of COVID, where perhaps... We do not interact with as many people as we used to. We do not engage in conversations with as many different points of view that we used to. Instead, our own views can be reinforced in isolation. When that's the case, and and even not, a lesson, a judgment parable teaching the urgency of obedient faith points you and me to open our minds to, yes, question our views or our posture. 
at the Diet of Worms, and I recently told this story, before Martin Luther boldly declared he stood by his theological writings with the immortal words, here I stand, I can do no other. Well, he spent the night before asking himself, are you alone right? Nowadays, for some, the question and answer comes from Bruce Coburn, who years ago sang, maybe the poet is gay, but he'll be heard anyway. Could be the voice of the spirit, in which case you'd better hear it. There are times to stop and check presuppositions. There are times to realize our knowledge is at least incomplete and perhaps worse by no fault of our own. There are times that God speaks in a tune that our traditions or our preferences or our painful life experiences will not easily hear or believe. The chief priests and elders thought themselves in a most favored subgroup status in the eyes of God. They were not humble about it. They were wrong. In the wilderness, let us feel free to second-guess our most favored subgroup status, if we think we are in one. Let us honestly wonder if any skepticism we have of new voices or voices which weary us let us wonder if any of, this, any of the skepticism that we may have comes from too much attachment to systems, people, or dynamics which we became blind to over time, that they were blind to the way of righteousness. Few of the scribes and Pharisees showed the willingness to self-critique, but that was needed if they were to recognize God speaking through John and Jesus and join the tax collectors and hookers who understood what they could not. We in the wilderness can learn from them. We would not, they, excuse me, they would not listen to the poet or hear the spirit. Let us be willing to listen and learn. And if that's hard, ask ourselves why. Let us be willing to detach from beliefs, persons, or systems which hurt instead of heal, which perpetuate injustice, even if we're not personally involved in it. We, there's a connection. Let us also, the systems which perpetuate hunger, division, falsehood, discrimination. The alternative is good. It is to obey God's command. Go and work in the vineyard today. The alternative is to join what Clarence Jordan calls the Jesus movement. There is gladness in God's service, in going into the field, because we heard something we hadn't really heard before, perhaps. When you, me, and St. Peter's United Church of Christ trust God in our need, which does not mean we get totally passive necessarily, that will help us stay the course in our wilderness. When you, me, and St. Peter's 
are able to look critically at ourselves from time to time and recalibrate, if necessary, to God's voice and will calls for a spirit of discernment. That will assist us in our sojourn also. It will help even more when holy recalibration puts us back to helpful service to our God. Then, even in the wilderness, the wilderness of anxiety, depression, loneliness, obstinate injustice and anger, God is at work. God is at work in the wilderness. God will be at work in us. Bringing us back to the words of Paul and hence the sermon, it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. To will for God's good pleasure is to choose for God's good pleasure. With our wills, we make choices, we make decisions. To will for God's good pleasure is to choose for God's good pleasure, to decide to go out into the field, whatever that looks like for us. To choose love and fairness, prayer and worship, conversation with those who may have different points of view with us, and humility. To choose a faith that moves us to do the right things. You and I will be better able to keep this up in our wilderness when learning from the Israelites, the chief priests and elders, as well as each other. Think about it and claim it. You and I, when in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ and the realm of God, it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will, to choose, and to work for God's good pleasure. Do you believe this? That makes the wilderness much easier to get through. To God be the glory. Amen. This concludes our podcast of The Red-Headed Preacher. These are tough days, and occasionally my podcasts, the messages, uh, try to you know bring the scriptures uh, to help us through that. And if you find any help or encouragement or inspiration or challenge, that you would like to let other people know about these podcasts, that you find value in them and are interested in, you know, letting other people know about them, please, please do. And I'm grateful for any uh, blessing you may get from what you take the time to listen to, for it is always a blessing uh, to be used by God to bless others. So if these podcasts have in any way been that, uh, we thank God. And I thank you for tuning in. Next week, will be about uh, World Communion Sunday. And we'll see you next week. May God bless you this week.